I am Dr. Mitch Harlan, and welcome to the Truth Talks Podcast. Shot fired. Shot fired. I've been shot. RTE parking ride. Need help. Shot fired at the parking ride. 8703. Hi, I'm Dr. Mitch Harlan, and welcome to Truth Talks Podcast. I'm here today with Pat Long, 38 year police officer veteran correct let's uh let's go to um where it all began where'd you start your uh police career well i started my career i went to the academy in 1981 riverside california uh, the sheriff's academy there and um just about the end of 1981 i was hired by uh the city of vernon uh, which is in los angeles county and spent my first uh, about 18 months with them and realized I wanted to go to uh, a city that I used to that I well, that I grew up in. Yeah, you and, grew up there. You were born and raised there. Yeah, in in Redlands. So I transferred out to the city of Redlands. So, so what what was uh, what was that area like uh, 118 years ago? <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Uh, I can tell you that Vernon was an industrial city. So Hoffy uh, Manufacturing Plant. Um, Pretty populated though. Not really. Not really. Not really. Okay. Daytime, heavy population, but it was all the employees that came in to work at the industries. Um, but very little residential. So a lot of pass-through from East L.A., um, you know, Maywood, Bell, Huntington Park area. And then, uh, but when I transferred out to Redlands, that was a bedroom community, more or less. So uh, being born and raised there, um, I felt at home there. My dad was a police officer there. He retired from there about the time I started. Same, same PD? Yeah. Same oh, police wow. department. So, yeah, it was in the blood. It was in the family. I didn't know that your dad was a cop. Yeah. He uh, started out with San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department and was a deputy there and then went to the city of Redlands, transferred to Redlands, and uh, was a police officer there and retired as a sergeant. So then, then let's, uh, let's start with that. What was it like being a kid of a cop? I um, always had to think, if I do this and Dad finds out, What's going to happen? <laughs> so it was more of of him being a cop. Were you ever scared that he was was not going to come home? Not back then. Yeah, it was different. It was different. Um, I never really had that thought. There were a lot of times he was at home. He would eat. He'd get an emergency call, jump in the car, lights and siren, take off. But um, maybe I was just naive then. But I, it didn't dawn on me the dangers of police work yeah. at that point in time. And Did you think that was cool though? Were you like, "Ooh, I kind of like that." Yeah. Or you, were you an adrenaline junkie? Like lights, lights and sirens. Right. I think that's why a lot of cops get into police work is adrenaline. It's that adrenaline rush. Yeah. That that you get. It's the excitement. Um, you never know what's going to be next. And having a purpose. Yeah, it, definitely. So you you like that idea? You're like, uh, "All right, this is pretty cool. I think this is what I'm going to do." So it, you yeah. go to the academy. Yeah, I went to the academy and uh, enjoyed the academy. Uh, you know, they, they rode you hard. Um, back then, there's a lot of push-ups, a lot of running, a lot in your face. More military style. Yeah, exactly, it was. It was a semi-military. Um, I don't know what they are nowadays, um, but uh, learned a lot and uh, went to uh, the city of Vernon. And it was about a 
uh, four square mile city. Yeah. And uh, it was like, as I mentioned, um, being all industrial, you kind of, you just handle alarm calls, alarm calls, traffic stops, accidents. Those were uh, during that swing shift and evening uh, graveyard shift. Those are the kind of calls that you handled. Day shift, it was more report calls and accidents and tickets. You end up becoming a cop. You're 20 years old. Right. Right. 20 and a half when I hit the street by myself. Um, and I'd be honest with you. That's why we call it Truth Talks Back. I, uh, <laughs> I go out on the street and then my, uh, within the first hour I was by myself, um, I stopped a car that was a stolen Stolen car out of Los Angeles. All right, no, wait a minute. Is this, is this your first go? This is my first experience. You're by 20. Myself, you're in a car by yourself. By myself. And back then, we didn't even have portable radios on our belts. <laughs> so we hung the mic, the old Adam 12 style. We actually hung the mics on the outside of the car door. <laughs> and I'm up talking to this guy, and, and I hear sirens. Well, wait a minute, mic. even before we get there. Okay, so you're 20. I'm 20 and a half. You just get 20 and a half. You just get through this academy thing. You know, they made you do a lot of push-ups and some, you know, you're in good physical condition. But now it's the mental aspect, right? So you don't know what's going to happen. This is your first real deal deal. So are you freaking at this point where you're like nerves going, heart pumping? I didn't have any idea what was going on. <laughs> I didn't know this car was stolen. So, you know, I, was, I went through a four-week FTO program, a training program. And after the four weeks, I was out on my own. So it was literally the first day I was out on my own. So uh, I was on Alameda, I remember that, and uh, really close to 55th um, in Alameda. And I remember hearing sirens, and I'm like, huh, I wonder what's going on. <laughs> you know, and this guy I'm talking to, he's a real pleasant, nice guy. And uh, next thing I know, there's units rolling code, and they're coming up, screeching up behind me. And they yell at me, hey, that car's stolen. I'm like, holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> Without a radio, I had no idea what was going on. Yeah. I didn't have my radio that was hanging outside my car door up loud <laughs> enough to hear everything that was going on. So you're just having this nice conversation with a guy who just stole a car? Exactly. Yeah, which, thank God he which, was really pleasant. Which feeds, I mean, dude, that's your persona. Like, I know so many people know you, and I'm always like, tell me that dude's at least one time just went off and lost his shit, right? But nobody does. They're all saying, like, you're the nicest dude they've ever met. So you're having this conversation with this dude who just stole a car. You're like, hey, bud, what you doing? <laughs> you know, after that, uh, as soon as they pulled up and they said, hey, the car is stolen. I'm like, oh, my God. I got the gun. Get down on the ground. You Did know? you? Yeah. Yeah. Then take him into custody at that point. Even though you guys just talked about where the nicest Mexican restaurant is around there? Or... Yeah, I know we were just bullshitting. <laughs> he's like, he's like, hey, you, uh, you go to Lakers game much? <laughs> All right, so then tell me that feeling, like that emotion right when you found out, oh, shit, the car was stolen. Uh, adrenaline rush. I was like, you know, really? <laughs> uh, but then, you know, everything kicks in. The, the All training the training kicks, kicks in. in. And, you know, it's, you know, at that point, this is a high risk. Yeah. Even though I didn't know that at, at the time, which a lot of times cops don't know going into things. Um, but, you know, it, it was a high risk situation. Prone him out on the ground, handcuffed him. You know, still was very pleasant to him. He was still very pleasant. I mean. What'd your buddy say? Uh, hey, rookie. <laughs> you catch him, you clean him. <laughs> you catch him, you clean him. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, being a police officer then, um, it was really fun, definitely. But you still had a lot of respect then. Ah, uh, definitely. And then you get back, so you're now in your 30s. When do you, when do you move out here to Colorado? In 92. 
In 92. Okay, so you're 12 years into being a police officer. You moved to Colorado. Right. And where'd you go? City of Thornton. City of Thornton. And what was it like then? Uh, you know, a lot of people from Thornton don't like to hear this, but when I went to Thornton in 92, in all honesty, it was like stepping back in time. Uh, yeah. Maybe 10 years. Small town. It was a smaller town. They, they didn't have the technology as far as the computers and the cars, which we already had. Uh, we didn't have any canines. We didn't have uh, a SWAT team. There was no police helicopters. Um, you know, Denver's still the only agency in Colorado that I'm aware of that has a, a helicopter. So I, I feel that the use of a helicopter was something that um, law enforcement, it's very difficult to do without. Yeah, because in uh, California you had it. Oh, they were there all, all the time. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you, you needed one Johnny on the spot. Yeah. There. So how was that transition? It was tough. It was a tough transition. Uh, going from having experience to starting all over again, um, being treated like a, a rookie again, which I was. You yeah. Know, basically being told, forget everything you've you learned in the past. You weren't the hot shot coming from California? Oh, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> I would be like, yeah, no, no, this dude's California. He's seen some stuff. <laughs> Did you ever pull your gun when you were in California? Uh, all the time. Oh, did you all the time? So that was a regular occurrence. Right. But you never had any shootings, anything like that? No. Yeah. And, um, but I want to bring the human side back. I want you to tell me about a specific night that happened to you. That would be um, March 23rd, 2016. You know what time? That was 10 minutes to 1 in the morning. Those details pretty solid in your mind? Yes. Tell me what happened. I was the uh, graveyard shift sergeant, patrol sergeant. And I had been out on the street for about 20 minutes and uh, just making a loop around uh, south end of, of Thornton where I enjoyed working and uh, just checking some of the hot spots and, and uh, you know, we were going to have a blizzard in a couple hours and uh, we're supposed to get a, a ton of snow. So I thought, well, I'm just going to go out and shoot the crews for a little bit and uh, see what's going on out there. And then it starts snowing because I'm a supervisor. I can go back inside and sit at my desk and finish my paperwork. And uh, so I'm out, and I see a suspicious vehicle in a, in a uh, parking lot. It was actually an RTD parking ride and in the city of Thornton at 88th and Grant. And the car is driving around blacked out. And uh, it goes over to some Connex boxes, uh, which... Uh, was used for some construction equipment uh, for some jobs here in the local area, and it stays blacked out. And I'm I'm just cruising really slow on a side street, just kind of watching it. I'm thinking, you know, that's that's not right. I wonder if he's getting ready to burglarize one of the containers or whatnot. And so I make a U-turn and I go into the parking lot. And um, as I'm approaching the car, the headlights come on and it starts coming towards me. And so I. Um, let it pass me, and then I make a U-turn, get behind it. and You didn't have your lights on? Just my headlights. Just headlights, and, okay. Yeah, and within that parking ride, there's a stop sign. So he stopped at the stop sign, and at that point, I um, turn on my overhead, which is my red and blue lights, and uh, called it out on the radio as a traffic stop. And before I got out of the car, dispatch told me the car was clear out of Denver, and it was a black Honda, and which matched, and uh, went up to the car and uh, contacted the driver and he was very polite, um, probably one of the nicest people in a little while that I've actually conversed with 
yes, everything was yes, sir, no, sir. Hands were 10 and 2 on the steering wheel. You know, uh, the one thing is it was cold because we were getting ready to have a blizzard, and he was just wearing a T-shirt, socks, and shorts. And uh, so what did your training tell you then? Was it like, hey, this dude's over here touching himself or something like that? You know, I I wasn't quite sure at, at that point. I just knew that, okay, he's driving around with no headlights on. You know, that's what we call an anomaly. Um, and he's not dressed for the occasion, and that's not right. The more I started talking to him, the more I could start smelling alcohol. So I'm thinking, all right, he's probably, you know, he's probably driving DUI. So, you know, he said he didn't have a driver's license, but he gave me his true name and date of birth, told me that the car that he had belonged to somebody else, and uh, gave me the registration and all that for it. So this guy was straight up? He was he was straight up. He gave me his legitimate name and, and all that. And I asked him, I said, well, is your license suspended? And he says, yes. And, you know, and I said, is it because of alcohol violations? Because I was noticing the, uh, the odor of alcohol. And he said, yeah, I've had a couple of DUIs. I said, okay. So I had the paperwork, I had his name, all that. And I said, tell you what, just hold on right here. I'll be back with you in a couple of minutes. So I already knew that another unit was on his, his way to uh, cover me on that traffic stop. So I went back. When, when did that call get made? Did you make it as you make the stop? Then some. Then you know somebody else is coming, or um, another officer that heard me make the traffic stop. And this is what the officers tell me. Anyway, I find out afterwards is um, we know when you start doing stuff that we need to go towards you because it usually turns into a mess. Because they know you, <laughs> right? Yeah. So I get in my car, and um, I had my paperwork in my hand, and he's still in his car, and I grab the radio, and I, I uh, tell this batch I'm going to be on a different channel so I can run the guy. And uh, so I reach down and make sure I'm on the right channel. I think it was like four channels over from our primary. Stay, all standard procedure. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And I look up, and as I look up, he, is, he had just exited the car, and he's, I don't know if it's a rifle or shotgun at that point, but it, he comes up with it. And then the first blast goes off. And, um, and I can tell that, you know, the first blast goes off. I, in my windshield, I start seeing, you know, things crackling, hearing it. And, um, and he's walking towards me. And as he's walking towards me, he's just racking and shooting, racking and shooting. And, you know, at that point, it's like, get off the X. You know, which is, he's shooting for you right here. You got to do so. You got to move. And he was coming at me, and I was only maybe 12 to 15 feet behind his car. So I didn't have a lot of, re- a lot of time to react. And Did you pull your gun? No. No. Not at that point. At that okay. point, it was lean to my right, put the car in reverse, and accelerate as fast as I could. Instinctively? Right. Training? It was training because I needed to get out of, the kill zone. Yeah. Because he was focused on that one spot, just the driver's side window of my car. So, you know, I, I kept it in reverse until I stopped. I didn't stop until I didn't hear anything hitting my car anymore. Then I stopped it. And all the time backing up, I kept thinking in my head, man, I hope I don't hit a pole. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I'm in this RTD parking lot. And I hit a pole, I'm really screwed. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, 
and when things stopped hitting my car, I remember leaning back up, and he was just about ready to get back into his car. When he was shooting through my, my windshield, um, I know that I got hit three times in the, the left shoulder. I got hit one time in the neck and in the back of the hand. The only thing that, that was concerning to me that was a uh, real burning sensation was the one to the neck. And I couldn't see it, so it's like, how bad is it? Yeah. You know? So I'm thinking, oh, crap. And I aired that shots fired that I had been shot. And at the same time, what did I did you use know, officer down or no, just, just officer shot or I just said shots fired. I've been shot. Need help. One shot fired. Shots fired. I've been shot. RT parking ride. Need help. Shot fired at the parking ride. 8703 ground. And at the same time, see, I was on a channel all by myself. And at the same time, my backup officer could see everything that happened. So he's actually airing everything out at the same time that I was. So he was, he aired that um, shots fired, 88th and Grant. Um, he said he saw me in reverse and saw the guy shooting at me, walking towards me and things like that. Um, the guy got back into the car, and he pulled out onto Grant Street and went southbound. Before... He went southbound. He actually passed my backup officer. My backup officer actually had his 223, his uh, rifle, and fired at the car. I think he hit it like 11 times, I think, hit the car. 21, it's that vehicle. He's blacked out. He's still shooting. He's going southbound. I need somebody to pursue him. I'm going to the hospital. Copy southbound. Are you going in your own car? Police vehicle. Southbound Grant, he's blocked out. He's going really slow. Okay, need a vehicle description. You're on service. I'm going to... Suspect vehicle description, please. Black Honda. Didn't hit the, the suspect. But I think it was enough to um, disable the car because the car only went about another quarter mile um, down the road. Now, had you already started heading towards this guy? Yeah, I started to pull out. I actually pulled up to my backup officer and asked him if he was all right, and he said yes. And I said, well, I got hit. Um, I need, I'm going to have to go to the hospital. And I had that, that point I had a decision to make. Do I make a left and go to the hospital, or do I make a right and follow the suspect? And so, you know, I, I, I checked my injury to my neck and realized, hey, I'm not – Squirting blood or anything like that. <laughs> so, Squirting blood. Yeah, that, that, that would have been a bad day. Yes. So, worst day. <laughs> so, I went ahead and went after the suspect with a backup officer. And this, the guy made it about a quarter mile and he stopped in the middle of the road. And he got out of the car with the shotgun. He's in the middle of the road. He stopped. He's getting out with a shotgun. Black Honda, middle of the road, has a shotgun. And he started walking back towards us. And, uh, you know, he's got it, he's got it up like this. And uh, I'm thinking, it's going to end here. And I'm going to take him out, he's walking towards you. He's walking toward another officer. And my backup officer was in front of me, and then a, another backup officer pulled in front of me as well. As these guys is walking, as the suspect's walking back towards us, um, to this day, I, I can see it vividly. He just had that thousand yard stare and I can hear gunfire 
but I, I could swear today that he was not getting hit. I mean, it was just like, this is unreal. Uh, this is like a dream, you know, is this really happening? That, um, you know, he's just walking through bullets yeah. <laughs> flying at him. And uh, the officer that was in front of me realized he wasn't in a good spot, so he moved, and at that point left me an opportunity to start shooting. So I began to shoot. Confirm, he's walking towards the officer, shot fired. Suspect down, suspect down. Copy, suspect down. Do you have other officers with you? Have two other officers. Roll medical for me, please. A firm, we're get a chopper in the air as well at 054. We're getting him in route now. 054. 6-4. Send me the shots fired. And then uh, the guy actually walked over 100 feet from his car to the front of the first backup car when he finally dropped. And he had multiple fatal wounds is what I found out later. But, you know, he was hit multiple times. He was hit uh, like 16 times. Did you ever find out if the guy was on something or the whole st the whole story? The uh, his talk screen came back where he had some marijuana in his system and he had alcohol in his system. So That's it, though. He would I think it was a point one two. So he was he would have been DUI. Yeah. He had no uh, no felony history. Um, he was uh, an avid uh, trap and skeet shooter. Um, he had a couple of trophies at home. So, you know, his weapon of choice was the, the 12 gauge shotgun. Yeah. Um, you know, he also had a, an IED in his car that was underneath his seat and he had five more at home. Um, he had some metal plating on his, uh, basement windows, which is where he lived in the basement of his sister's house. So he was out to do some damage at some point. He was out to do something yeah. that night, and I don't know if he was trying to bait somebody into stopping him, taking out a cop, and then yeah. making it home, and then the last uh, the main event was going to take place at the house, which he never made it to. He uh, left his front door standing wide open, which would have given him easy access, so I know that when the sheriff's department got there to check the house, that they found that door wide open. But you shot this guy. Right. Right. And, you know, one of the things is because I knew you and I knew you extremely well. Um, of course, my personality is I'm like, hey, Pat, what the hell happened? <laughs> I wonder what the hell happened, right? But what we want to kind of highlight here is then that aftermath. So after this guy's down and adrenaline it has to be a million miles an hour, you're already shot. Um, what goes through your head then? Disbelief. It's like, did this really, did this really happen? Yeah. You know, it, it, you train for it and, you know, for 34 years at that point, I, you, you work your ass off training for that day. And then all of a sudden, when you least expect it, that day happens. And the adrenaline was, was pumping. Um, at, at that point, I'm trying to um, bark out orders to the guys, you know, shut the street down from here to here. Um, I remember telling our dispatcher to uh, send send the paramedics, and um, and then we had a combat medic who was actually in the FTO program at the time, the field training program, who was riding with one of our officers, and he grabbed his medic kit and came over to me, and he did an evaluation on me right there, and one of the things that you know he did it was a full body um, scan basically, make sure I wasn't bleeding anyplace else. 
and then trying to calm my breathing down. Yeah. Because, you know, imagine that, I don't know how fast I was breathing, but he said, you know, you got to calm everything yeah. down, just watch me. Yeah. Trying to change my focus. And Because uh, no cop ever wants to be in that situation. No. I think a lot of guys may talk a big game, but they don't want to. You don't want you know, to be there. Nobody wants to be there. You've got to prepare yourself. You got to be. You've got to tell you. Ask yourself: Are you morally, physically, and mentally prepared to take life if you need to? If you're not, you're in the wrong job. Yeah. If you have any doubts about it, you're in the wrong job because you might get yourself hurt or somebody else hurt. But if you have prepared and you know that that's the case that may happen, um, and when that day does happen, you're a little more prepared. Although it's still. Um, very shocking when it does happen. Yeah, you just realize that, thank God, um, that I'm still here. What What was yeah. the psychological fallout? You get done. You go home that night, get out of the hospital. You go home. Yeah. Emotional as hell. Yeah, I was. Yeah. I was. Um, got out that morning, um, went home. The adrenaline was... As I described it, I was probably doing 800 miles an hour in a 25-mile-an-hour zone. Yeah. You know, I was just it – was, it's a different type of um, feeling when that you get that adrenaline rush. Were you mad? That came. That came yeah. uh, a little bit later. I want to go through all that. You know, um, I'm sitting at home. You're, I'm reliving the whole thing over and over and over again, just thinking about it, just thinking about it, and thinking about how did I survive that? Had I not leaned to my right to have the dashboard protect me when I put it in reverse, the chances of me being here today would have been slim to none. I saw the pictures. Because the, uh, the headrest yeah. had uh, pellets that had gone through it. He was shooting double-odd buck. And, and he had slugs in it because yes. there were big gashes all throughout the metal of the car. Yeah, and uh, his last shot was from eight feet. So the, uh, all the pellets in a nice round... Yeah, circle and in the photographs, um, he was that close. So he walked. He covered the uh, distance from fifteen feet to eight feet. Did you that. see his face? Could you make out all the features in his face? Not at the time he was Not walking time. towards me. No, it's everything at that point was seemed to happen really fast. Although I, the sounds that I heard were all muffled, very just like instead of loud gunshots, it was. Yeah, that that, that's because all the blood, you know, that that's uh, neuroanatomy, right? It made you hyper-focus on vision, hyper-focus on being able to have motor coordination. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it, it, it is. It is. And uh, I don't remember seeing any flashes either, even when my backup officer was shooting his rifle. Yeah. I don't remember that. I don't, you know, when the whole thing came to an end, I don't, I remember getting out of my um, Chevy Tahoe is what I was driving. I don't remember pulling my gun out, but what I remember is everything slowed down when I came up and actually had a good sight picture. And I remember pressing the trigger. I don't remember recoil. I don't remember the flash. I don't remember the sound. I just remember after, I thought I just, I thought I fired once and he dropped, uh, but I had fired several different times and um, and then he just dropped. And, yeah. uh, you know, I can see today, I can still see him with a shotgun dropping and the shotgun bouncing. 
and him hitting the ground. Is it, does it still keep you up? No, it, it, I, I sleep, I sleep well. Um, you know, I have scars from it, which, you know, every time you take a shower and you get in front of the mirror, you think, holy shit. shit. <laughs> yeah. Holy shit. You know, um, you think, uh, you really reflect on yourself when something like that happens. You reflect on your life, you reflect on your family. What is important to you changes. Yeah. And, uh. That's probably one of the biggest things that, you, that I took away from it. Do you feel like uh, early on, right after, though, did it, did it completely change your entire personality? Did you deal with any depression? Did you deal with any any anxiety? Anxiety, definitely. Um, lack of energy. I didn't feel motivated to do anything. You feel like the um, system was set up for uh, these types of things? Did you get a lot of help from your buddies? I did. The department was very supportive. The chief was very supportive. Um, I got a ton of text messages, phone calls, and you know, my wife would, would say, you don't have to return them. You don't have to text people back. And I'm like, no, I need to. It was, it was something that kept me busy. It was something I needed to do. People are reaching out to me. I want to acknowledge them. And everybody was like, hey, man, you okay? How you doing? Yeah. I'm like, dude, bring me some pictures of that shit. I want to see it. <laughs> Everybody's got to have a friend like me, though. Because, <laughs> dude, you know how much I love you and I care for you. And, and uh, it's funny how we all process things differently. Like, uh, for me, and this is what I think people don't get, um, is the idea that for me, when I, the moment I heard it, I'm like, bud, what is up, man? What happened? Mm. And... Um, but I see you differently. Like, I've always seen you as that guy that's just always had your shit together. I mean, your family's perfect. For me, I, you know, and, and again, it might just be kind of part of the ass in me. I didn't even think down that line. I didn't think that it would be, would be psychological for you at that point. I was just like, no, I know Pat, man. That dude's just doing his job. That's what he does. And mm-hmm. so I was more curious about, uh, dude, I want to hear some details because you and I have this kind of uh, friendship that, you know, it's jab and punch type of things, you know. Was that healing or was it was that not good? As far as... Me just like, dude, you got to tell oh, me what no. happened. I want to know all the deets. No, that that's fine. And in fact, the more I talk about it, the, the easier it gets. Um, you know, as soon as... And you probably noticed a difference in me as soon as you asked me about that night to yeah. talk about it. Um, and that still happens. It's like a... Deep inside, you start getting this little shaking feeling, and uh, it's like, you know, come on, <laughs> get it. You can talk about it, and uh, but I feel better talking about it. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm very proud of the way I responded that night, um, of, of taking all my serious or the training that I've had serious. Paid yeah, off. There's, there's there's a reason why repetition, repetition that on the range and all the instructors, you got to do it over, you got to do it over. It's muscle memory. Because when the shit hits the fan, yeah, you don't need to think about what you need to do. It just becomes instinctual, and that's what it should be. Did did any uh, new training processes come out after that? Uh, we started at the police department. We started. Um, having people working with the officers to, if they're engaged, if they're still seated in their car, 
somebody gets out as a threat with a gun, create distance. So lean to your right, put the car in reverse, and back out. And then, you know, it, that creates the distance, the space, the time. And then you can actually formulate a plan if you need to. You can re-engage. Quickly. Right. You can re-engage under your circumstances, under your conditions at yeah. that point. Um, and just, I was thankful that it was in a big empty parking lot that night. So there was nobody else around, um, that would have been injured by any, uh, bullets or pellets or anything yeah. else. You know, the, the thing that, uh, one of the reasons I really wanted to do your story is not only did, you know, I think you handle it well and, and I'm, I'm a big believer and that's why we do true talks. Uh, I'm a big believer in telling the story because when you tell the story, you know, there's, there's a cop somewhere right now that uh, is like, ah, eh, you know, it's probably never going to happen to me. Man, you can't do that. Any moment it can be. No, no. Second thing is I like people to understand how freaking human that you are, right? Most people, their interactions with cops are, I was going three miles an hour and that son of a bitch stopped me and gave me a 50-buck ticket, you know, or I'm in the, in the kid's zone, you know, in school or whatever it may be. Um, but that human side, that human side, everybody's got a human side, and, and uh, I think that's what kind of brought my passion about this story is, man, I know you. I know what kind of cool dude you are. I know what kind of heart you got, and, you know, that incident happens, and um, it, it even further pisses me off sometimes when people are giving cops a bad rap because I'm thinking, man, you just don't even know. It's a hard job. It is. It is. You know, and would I have expected that guy that night to, to shoot me? No. Yeah. Did I become complacent? I may have because of thousands of traffic stops and nothing's ever happened, you know, and it only takes that one time. But Just then, that one time. Now, you travel around talking about this. I do. I do because I'm hoping that I can tell the story. People can learn from my story. You know, were the things I did right? Yes. Were the things I did wrong? Yes. And what I talk about are the things, both of those, what I did right, what I did wrong that night. Um, it just so happened that that night, that was our 30th wedding anniversary. Um, you know, it wasn't one of those nights where I wanted to call my wife and say happy anniversary. Yeah. But it was call my wife and say, guess what? I'm in the emergency room. <laughs> I've been shot. <laughs> you know. Um, How's it, it affected her and the kids? She's been a trooper through the whole thing. Um, she is. She's my rock. So yeah. she's she's been great. Um, she was great that, that night when she came to the hospital. Um, one thing I never took into consideration was the, how it would affect my kids. Never in a million years did I ever think about how this job would affect my kids. But they had talked to my wife about it and not talked to me about it. And, uh, you know, being a, a child of a, of a cop is difficult. That's why I asked that question early on. Remember that question? Yep. Because I knew we'd get to this point. Did they want you to quit right after that? Yeah, they wanted me to retire. Yeah. They said, you know, you're not going back, are you? And I said, yeah, I need to go back. I, I need to go back for me. I need to know that I can still do it, that I'm not going to go out on somebody else's terms. I'm going to go out on my term. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's what I did. I worked, I worked through things, um, went back on the road, you know, the first time I stopped a suspicious vehicle in a parking lot. That, you Whole know, new ballgame? It was like... Was it similar to being that 20-year-old kid? Yeah, yeah, in a way it was. A um, little more mental at that point. Funny how life comes back around, doesn't it? Yeah, 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 definitely. A lot of nerves? 
Oh, yeah. Thinking, oh, man, if one thing looks out of place here. Yep. And I, I became... Hypervigilant. Yeah. You know, to, and that's... I had to work on that because I had to realize... And, you know, there's a small percentage of people that are your true criminals out there that commit most of the crime. And not everybody out there is going to try to kill you. But you got to be prepared for those that are wanting to try to kill you or will try to kill you. And, uh, you know, so the first couple of traffic stops that I made again, and I wanted to do that as soon as I got back. I wanted to go right out onto the road and find a violation. And, you know, not to pick on anybody out there on the road, but I needed to do this for myself mentally as to work through things and, yeah. and know that I can still do it and then relax again and get back to the way I, I was. Did it ever get back to baseline? You know, it, it did. Did it? It really did. I really felt good about it. Um, you know, I, I went from being always having my gun out in my hand approaching cars um, cause I was going to different shifts, swing shift. So the biggest part of that day was daylight to, you know, having my gun ready to pull it out. Again, the if then thinking was really a little bit stronger at that point. Um, it was back to like my rookie days of, Hey, everybody's out to get you. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, always be ready, <laughs> you know? So I, I did reflect a little bit more in that angle of that direction. Um, but I, I, I think I ended up in a in a good, normal spot again. Yeah, up until retirement, because I, I went to your retirement party. A bunch of dudes had a lot of good things to say about you. That was kind of fun. Even some dudes from California, right? Yeah, guys I worked with 27-plus years ago. I, yeah. I paid them to come out. Yeah, <laughs> there's no <laughs> doubt. That's what they were saying. Like, dude, he bought my way out of here, so yeah, I'm coming to Colorado. <laughs> You know, I, I think, you know, what we always want to do with True Talks, this, again, this story is one I really wanted to do because um, I've been just frustrated myself with the way kind of law enforcement has been treated lately, uh, kind of the shift in, you know, man, the good guys are now the bad guys, and that's just not how it really is. If you had one thing to say and kind of leave with people that would be listening to it about police officers, what would that be? Trust them, believe them. They're there to do a good thing. They're good dudes. They are. They're solid. They're there to make a difference. You know, they're... Of course, you know, it's a cliche in, in interviews is, why do you want to be a police officer? And they all say, because I want to help people. Well, they want to do the right thing. Yeah. And a lot of that comes from their their upbringing and uh, believing in people, believing in the system, wanting to protect people, wanting to put the bad guys in jail. We need to have safer communities for their for them and their families. Yeah, and um, man, I want to see one percent of them that might be bad cops, like there is in any profession. Yeah, but ninety nine percent of these guys and gals out there, they love what they're doing, and they are out there. Thank God, strapping it on every day, putting the badge on, taking a lot of heat from people. Yeah, it's intense. It, it is. And, and the whole uh, culture of the world has gotten to a place where they don't give a shit anymore about anything. And it, and that's the saddest thing I think I've ever seen is uh, there's no respect anymore. And somehow I hope that comes back. I mean, I can't even tell you how much I appreciate what you guys have done. Um, yeah, it's sad to me, man. It's really sad. And, you know, I, I refuse to let people tell me that all cops are bad. I'm like, man, how, how come I don't know any of them? That's, that's mm -hmm. what I always come back with them at. And, 
granted, there are some bad dudes. As a matter of fact, I would even encourage people in the PD, if you know there's a bad dude, report the dude. Get him out of there. Do whatever. Right. Um, it's it, our obligation to clean our own house. Yeah. And I, and I think, uh, I would tend to say that I think they probably do do that. I mean, I, I don't think that's an oddity, but I hope that we have brought out just the real stresses in there. I mean, we probably could have went through a ton of stories about stresses because you were in SWAT and all that stuff, but, man, these guys are under some serious, hardcore, psychological, emotional stress all damn day, and then we expect them to be perfect. And uh, I think, that, I think that's, that's unfair. I agree. Yeah. Well, man, I tell you what, I'm so happy you came on this show. Um, and again, you're going to be my security when we go out doing uh, all of our stuff on the road. And and uh, dude, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have okayed that if I didn't think you could do it again if I needed to. No, but, I appreciate it, and I'm looking forward to it. Well, you're older than me, so I'm <laughs> I'm going to draw first because I always told you, dude, I'm going to shoot first. You'll be shooting second anyway. <laughs> but you know, it's uh, it's been fun. It's a great interview. Um, I hope people got to see both sides of kind of how people do it. I hope they saw, you know, the real passion, emotion was like on these guys' kids. Because um, it's not just a cop. It's their wife. It's their kids. It's everything. And, man, truly, it's one of the only jobs where you leave the house every morning and there's a chance you're not coming home, uh, a much higher chance than, than most regular occupations. So, you know, I just hope people give them a break, and and um, and maybe cops listening too. You know what? Um, you know, perhaps get back a little bit of that that empathy too. Realize people are scared when they get stopped. Realize that that you know conditions aren't optimal for them either. And just there's just got to be some way that you know you can meet in the middle somewhere. But right. uh, for the most part, most of those people that that are in serious trouble are there for a reason. Exactly. Man, I appreciate you. I'm glad you retired. So am I. Yeah, I bet that feels good. <laughs> but uh, hopefully people learn something. I certainly appreciate you sharing that story with us. Thank you very much for having me. You betcha.